What a sign it is creaking. We see your lost soul with our wandering eye. There's only one light on, and the darkness is creeping. There's only one light, and the chill in the air. We promise you stories for. friend come in take a look around when you finish browsing why not come warm yourself by the fire we promise we won't bite we might even tell you a story or two maybe offer you a cookie or two this week's flavor is cranberry and dark chocolate cookies nowhere were we oh yes in 1862 a photographer from Boston made a rather interesting discovery. While taking a self-portrait, something he did often to hone his craft, William Mumler found that the print had developed rather strangely. Behind him, there appeared to be a figure, something he described as a girl who was made of light. He was alone in his studio at the time the picture was taken, so it couldn't have been an assistant. There was something oddly familiar about the curve of her nose, the style of her hair. Looking closer, Mumler determined that this must be the spectral figure of his cousin, who had died years earlier when they were young children. With a heady mix of excitement and fear bubbling inside of him, Mumler took the photograph to his spiritualist friend who cried out with joy, exclaiming, that image contains a ghost, a female apparition. He passed the photo around the city's thriving spiritualist community, quickly gaining respect and awe from the clairvoyants and mediums of the time. Mumler began advertising genuine photographs of ghosts later that year for $5 a pop, at that time a small fortune. In a country plagued by loss after the American Civil War, it's unsurprising that his photographs became immensely popular. Spirit photography was a trend that capitalised on traumatic incidents. It grew in France after the War of 1870 and later in Europe after World War I. In an article for The New Yorker, Dan Piepenbring calls the first photographers necromancers. Able to fix the image of a loved one who may not be long for this world was as magical as it was frightening. The camera produced such a perfect image of reality that some worried the process would capture part of their soul. In the beginning, 
photography was more science than art. Cyanotypes and darkroom processes. Photographs were often employed for uses in documentation and preservation rather than artistic expression. As spirit photography became more popular, so too did post-mortem photography. As haunting as these images seem today, the practice of capturing an image of a deceased child or relative was an accepted practice, their bodies often positioned as if they were alive. Family members would sometimes pose with their deceased loved one, and they would be portrayed either as sleeping or awake. To give the illusion of being awake, their eyes would either be propped open or they would have pupils painted on their eyelids. In addition, sometimes stands would be used to hold the deceased person's body up as though they were standing. Mumler was an amateur chemist and entrepreneur who was known for his often outlandish business schemes. For a time, he sold homemade elixir, which he swore cured dyspepsia. That's indigestion to you and I. Formerly trained as a silver engraver, Mumler had always been fond of the arts. The science of photography, with its darkened rooms and pungent chemicals, would have seemed a familiar place for him. Visitors to Mumler's darkened studio were told that there was no guarantee a departed soul would appear in their portrait. He didn't command the spirits, you see. They came and went as they pleased. The taking of a portrait in the 1900s was a laborious process. Clients needed to sit perfectly still for a full minute. Perhaps this is why our Victorian ancestors seemed so dour. The development process took much longer. Secrets hidden in a darkened room filled with pungent chemicals and a touch of magic. With their stained fingers, photographers were said to practice the black art, a term that unsurprisingly resonated with spiritualists. If their photograph didn't come out as expected, for example showing the ghost of an old woman instead of the customer's lost brother, Mumler would help them search their memory for any other people they knew that had passed on. Sometimes, he said, it may have just been a lost soul who was eager to communicate with the living. Either way, Mumler always made sure that the customer went away with some proof of a ghostly presence, known to the client or not. He quickly built up a devoted group of customers, some of whom described a creeping sense of unease as they sat for their portrait. Others claimed to feel ghostly fingertips upon their cheek. Following the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, his widow Mary sat for one of Mumler's portraits, showing just how popular he had become. The finished product shows the sombre figure of Mrs. Lincoln dressed in traditional mourning clothes and seated. Behind her, a tall shadow looms, appearing to be the president himself. To many, this was proof.
the former president was a recognisable figure to many at the time, and even today, the image does appear to be genuine. After Mary's successful visit, Mumler was able to raise his price to $10 per photo. He even set up his own mail-order service through popular spiritualist newspapers, such as the Banner of Light. As a man well-versed in schemes and half-truths, Mumler deemed the most trustworthy way to market himself was as a man who could not explain how these photographs were being made or why he had been the one blessed with a lens into the spirit world. Photographers in the 1900s were in fierce competition, partly because of the cost of images was so high. So, Mumler's peers were deeply suspicious. Many publicly denied his abilities, including experienced aerial photographer J.W. Black. After hearing of Mumler's popularity, he sent an apprentice to have a portrait taken under guise of being a regular customer. When the boy returned with a tear in his eye and his very own ghostly shadow, Black stormed into the studio, demanding Mumler capture his image and allow him to watch the entire process from start to finish. With a wry smile, Mumler agreed allowing Black to clean the glass plate himself and offering him the opportunity to develop the image himself, something his visitor declined, saying, I am not acquainted with the workings of your chemicals and might spoil it. Besides, you are not smart enough to put anything on that negative without my detecting it. The image had captured the visitor but as the men watched, another form began to emerge. My God, Black exclaimed, is it possible? Once developed, a shadow of a man had appeared, leaning his arm upon Mr. Black's shoulder. Sending him away without charging a cent, Mumler felt safe in his position as beloved photographer of the dead. Sadly for him, this was not to last. The fraudulent evidence against Mumler began to grow, with the number of believers slowly being overshadowed by sceptics. In one case, Mumler created a spirit photograph for a woman who had recently lost her brother in the Civil War. When the brother miraculously returned home alive, things got awkward. Mumler relocated to New York in 1868, to escape the naysayers and continue his lucrative business. But after only a year, he was arrested and tried for fraud. The New York prosecutors called a parade of so-called expert witnesses, who offered at least nine ways that Mumler could have used photographic trickery to produce his ghostly images. Sadly for believers in the supernatural, it's surprisingly easy to fake these apparitions even in the early days of photography. Sitters were required to remain perfectly still or risk the image being spoilt. If the subject moved during the exposure, they appeared in the finished photograph as a blurred, transparent, 
ghost-like figure. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Another common method was to use double exposure techniques to lay one image on top of another, creating a depth to these images. Mumler's New York trial was a sensation, drawing huge crowds of non-believers and firm followers alike. It was so notorious that everyone's least favourite entertainer, P.T. Barnum, took the stand, called as an expert in hoaxing by the prosecution to testify against him. Infamous for his cruelty and deception, it's baffling that the court trusted anything Barnum had to say. He declared Mumler and his attorney to be humbugs, presenting a spirit photograph that he had had made for the court. The prosecution alleged that Mumler had his assistants break into customers' houses to steal photographs of deceased relatives. The defence argued that Mumler was akin to Galileo, arguing that scepticism about spiritualism was akin to scepticism about the solar system. Luckily for Mumler, the prosecution was ultimately unable to prove how he had created the hoax and so was forced to exonerate him. Eventually he moved back to Boston, deciding to focus his energy on regular photography. Later in life, he discovered that photoelectrotype plates could be produced and printed as easily as woodcuts. This was coined the Mumler process. Many spirit photographers of the time had their fair share of controversy. The Ghost Club, which was founded in 1862 and is believed to be the oldest paranormal investigation and research group, was a firm supporter of what they called legitimate paranormal images, but admitted that most were faked. Not even admissions of fraud could change some people's beliefs. At photographer Edouard Isidore Bouget's trial in France, he confessed to creating fake ghostly portraits. Upon raiding his home, police found a variety of props and materials he used when making these images, often dressing up his studio assistants or mannequins in clothes described by the deceased's loved ones. He explained to the court how he would double expose the plates to create the effect, even going as far as presenting one image to the jury that he had sold to three different customers who all claimed it showed their lost relative. Despite his confession, several of his clients appeared as witnesses, insisting that he could not be a fraud. There was no way they would have been fooled by a doll or a sheet of cloth. William Stainton, one of his most tenacious supporters, said that Bouget must have been coerced into making a false confession. Based on his guilty plea, Bouget was sentenced to a year in prison and made to pay a fine of 500 francs. Ironically, once released, he went on to market himself as a conjurer photographer making openly fake spirit photography for public entertainment. Today, 
spirit photography is still alive and well. Reborn for the internet era, there are millions of spooky images out there that people claim are real. From the Amityville ghost, to the iconic grainy image of Nessie, to the cult following of Creepypasta, we are still fascinated by the seemingly unexplainable. The terrifying urban legend of Slenderman, a sinister stealer of children, has plagued the internet since 2009. Created by Eric Knudsen for a competition to create a convincing paranormal image, this supernatural monster quickly took on a life of his own. While the original images Eric created were convincing and frightening, within days members of the forum had created an entire mythology, making their own images, artwork and stories. Some even went as far as to create elaborate historical artefacts that the Slender Man had brought into being. This iconic bogeyman, harmlessly created for entertainment, inadvertently led to a brutal attempted murder which shocked a small city in Wisconsin. Twelve-year-olds Morgan Geyser and Anissa Wire lured their friend Peyton Leitner into the forest where Morgan stabbed her 19 times. Why? To prove themselves worthy to the slender. Believing her to be dead, the girls began their pre-planned journey through the woods to find the mansion they believed Slenderman lived in. On the way, they complained about the taste of the granola bars they had packed for the trip, and when police found them resting on the side of a road and proceeded to arrest them, the only question they asked was how many miles they had travelled. In shocking police interview footage, the girls seemed cold and unremorseful of their crime, with Morgan showing clear signs of an unstable mental health. Anissa explained to police that she feared if they didn't go through with the murder, Slenderman would kill her family. This horrific crime is a shocking reminder that obsessions, no matter how seemingly harmless or obscure, can be very dangerous. A lot has happened since William Mumler burst onto the scene of spiritualism. The world of spirit photography closely mingled with spiritualists, mediums and charlatans. Art has always been a link between us and the gods, a way to express the most complex of emotions and depths of our souls. Many mediums of the 1900s used drawing techniques they called spirit drawing to try and provide tangible proof of the world beyond the veil. These were often scribbled furiously by a spirit through the hands of a medium. Other times, they would be produced seemingly by the ghosts themselves, using chalkboards hidden under tables. Like many pieces of art, these have long been destroyed or lost over time. Spirit photographs, perhaps because of the high cost to buy them, have survived much longer. It's easy to find examples of these ghostly images online, 
But if you're looking for something a little more tangible, why not consider us? When you next visit Wandering Eye Curios, there's a section not many people notice near the stairs to the basement. There, we keep a box of spirit photographs which have never been proven to be fake. When a member of the ghost club comes through town, we invite them to study the images, and each time they have left frustrated and curious. Our old boss, Mr Montague, told me once that this box of photographs was hidden behind several loose bricks when he took on the lease. He did say this with a wry smile, so perhaps he was just messing with me. Like I said, spooky imagery is incredibly easy to fabricate. Still, something about those ghostly figures seems so very real, almost as if I recognise something. Or someone. Let's face it. If you wanted to be a medium in spiritualist Victorian Britain, there are a few essential tricks you needed to have up your sleeves. Even if a medium truly believed they were contacting the spirit realm, 99% of the job was convincing the audience or sitters that they were actually channeling the dead. And it seems that a little bit of drama went a long, long way. Much like the magicians of today, Victorian mediums worked through a mix of distraction and trickery to convince those attending their seances to suspend belief in the physical world and allow, just for an hour or so, that there may truly be life after death. And it may be much closer than you think. So it's the mid 1800s. It's the height of the spiritualist movement and inspired by the Fox sisters, the most famous mediums in the world, you have decided you would like to cash in. Maggie and Kate Fox, along with their accomplice, older sister Leah, convinced the public that they could commune with the spirits through a series of knocks or rapping to indicate the answers. If you really want to follow in their footsteps, you could take inspiration from their own tactics and use the joints in your fingers and toes to make loud cracking sounds to indicate the knocks. If you are less naturally blessed with loudly clicking body parts, then you might consider simply hitting your foot against something or asking an accomplice to hide and create the wraps for you. Through this method, you will basically be acting as a human Ouija board. Although some knocks may be used to indicate the answers to yes or no questions, often a medium would simply run through the letters of the alphabet and stop when there was a knock and put the letters together at the end to form a word, hopefully relevant to the sitters. If this sounds like a long and boring process, don't worry. There are plenty of other ways to swindle your guests and make them think the dead walk among them, or that, no, great aunt Doris doesn't really mind that you accidentally smashed her favourite vase that one time, and you can now move on with a guilt-free conscience. For example, 
you may turn towards the humble spirit trumpet to help in your endeavours. If the knocking isn't doing it for you and you want to up the ante, then this long tube, wide at one end and tapering off into a small, mouth-sized opening at the other and made of metal or cardboard, may be perfect for you. During a trumpet seance, it's said that the instrument would float around the room, ghostly words slipping out, despite neither the sitters nor the medium being anywhere near it. This trick is generally performed in a dark room to hide the fact of a small black tube attached to the trumpet, which you, the medium, can use to speak into or create ghostly sounds. If you're thinking, well, this is all well and good, but what about physical proof, not just ghostly raps and voices? It might be time to consider adding a little ectoplasm to your act. The presence of this goop supposedly signals the thinning of the veil between worlds. It may be that it drips from the end of a spirit trumpet to indicate the whispers of the dead stealing through from the other side, or it could spill from the mouth, nose, ears, and anywhere you might think to hide it. Yes, I know what you're thinking. There are mediums who would pretend to birth this substance as a means to cement their body as the most important link to communing with the dead. A medium who came away from a seance covered in ectoplasm was a true conduit of the dead. So be prepared to commit to the role. It seems that each medium's ectoplasm was their own trade secret, but some used gauze and one notable conduit even mixed in some newspaper clippings to change things up, though this ended up being her downfall after faces in the clipping were recognised not as images and writings from the next world, but as starlets of the age. Ectoplasm in particular caught the attention of the scientific community, who for a while were extremely invested in it as evidence of a medium's ability to cross paths with the supernatural. Even though they couldn't divine exactly what it was, scientists at the time believed that it could one day perhaps be used to explain or treat conditions in women such as nymphomania or hysteria, diseases which are, ironically, as fake as the ectoplasm itself. The most fun you can probably have as a medium though, if you don't feel like birthing a pile of gauzy goop, is with a manifestation cabinet. To the audience, the cabinet appears as a spectral show that has almost nothing to do with you, the medium, as you are tied up and out of sight the entire time. And all you need is to learn a rope trick to get out of your binds and a few friends to help out. Manifestation cabinets go a step further than either spirit wrapping or trumpets. This trick features a large cabinet which needs to be big enough to hold the tied up medium. Once the lights go down, it's time for the fun to start. In the dim glow, ghostly hands would appear out of the dark and unseen persons would take up instruments. At the end of the mayhem, the cabinet would be opened only to find the medium still tied up exactly where the audience had left them. To add to the act, you could have a member of the audience themselves tie the ropes to make sure you won't be going anywhere. 
except as soon as those cabinet doors are closed, it'll be time to shuck off those bindings and get out the violin, or sneak through the dark to run your hands through the hair of an unsuspecting sitter. But perhaps this isn't enough of a thrill for you. Maybe your desire to prove yourself the best ghost conjurer out there means you're willing to put your life on the line. For a few mediums, trial by fire was the only true way to test their connection to the other side. The claim was that their connection to the spiritual world made them impervious to heat. Why? We don't really know. But I suppose no one really wants to argue with the tough guy, or madman, who is liable to stick their hand in the flame willy-nilly just to prove they can talk to ghosts. The trick itself is pretty simple. There are substances which can be layered onto the skin that will stop it from burning, making it appear as though you can pass your extremities through red-hot flames with no pain at all. If you ever had a science teacher that performed the washing up liquid trick, it's the same principle. Once the fairy liquid is slathered onto the skin, it creates a barrier, meaning that you can A, light yourself on fire, or B, pass through flame and not feel it. Unless you are a Victorian medium, a stunt person, or a mad secondary school chemistry teacher, please do not try this at home. Fire bad. Lastly, you'll need to make sure that you have a healthy supply of spirit guides. These are particular ghosts or apparitions with which you commune in your seances on a regular basis, whether that's through rapping, trumpet or cabinet. You may choose to make your spirit guide up entirely and therefore exert full control over who they are, which may save you when it comes to details about their lives. Or, like some mediums, you may choose to channel some famous dead people to increase your notoriety and draw more sitters. Mediums who could pull off channeling a spirit of a different age, gender or race were more highly regarded as it seemed to add credence to their claims that this was something happening to them and not something that they were creating. It seems that being contacted by the ghost of a little girl who died tragically was a great way to open people's minds and wallets. Just remember this character you create is likely to stay with you your whole career, so make sure you choose wisely. It's also worth considering, if you're invited to perform at a private seance, doing a bit of digging on those relatives of the sitters who have died and might be asked about. It's always more impressive if you whip out a name one of the guests is familiar with than throw in a favourite visiting spot or activity for good measure. Find out who visited Uncle Henry's grave last week and left the flowers. It may involve a wee bit of snooping, but the family will be thrilled to know that the pink and blue hydrangeas were appreciated. Hello! Thank you so much. This is like episode seven, I want to say now. Yeah. If you're still listening, or even if you just tuned in, like, hey, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> we really hope that you enjoyed all of the um, 
content that we put up over Halloween. Uh, we, we work really hard to bring that all to you and I'm really pleased with uh, everything that we ended up with. Yeah, no, it turned out brilliant. It was a lot of work, I think, mm -hmm. more than we expected. Yep. It was certainly a lot of fun. There was an extra Thursday. <laughs> yeah, we, we always knew that we wanted to sort of, you know, uh, go hard for October. Um, it's not necessarily go hard or go home right now because we can only be at home. Um, but yeah, it was really fun to get to do that and... Although there, there isn't going to be any extra content this month because we're working on lots of cool other things which will be coming your way um, fairly soon. So this month's going to be a bit more low-key but uh, hopefully from what you've just heard you'll agree it's still going to be just as interesting. <laughs> it will definitely. I mean, like, spiritualism itself is just, it's such, like, a rabbit hole. There's so much to talk about, there's so many aspects of it. From spirit photography, to spirit drawings, to post-mortem photography. The Victorians had their own entire world around mourning. Mm -hmm. Mourning jewellery, um, clothes, fashion, art rules on how you had to act and how many years you had to mourn. What you had to yeah. wear and what was appropriate for different genders or class or, you know, status. I, I think what's really interesting though is like just how how close the Victorian life was to the Victorian death. Because I mean, you know, you saw like the Industrial Revolution which meant that you know people were dying faster and from you, you know you had people dying from factory injuries but also because of the conditions people being so cramped together like and them not really knowing where diseases come from or how they spread it's a huge population boom as well yeah yeah um but yeah the victorian world was just a little bit messed up Really. I think, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more in one of the episodes this month, where we're going to talk about one of my favourite authors, Arthur Conan Doyle, because if you know anything about spiritualism, you know he is a big wig. Um, <laughs> but what not many people know is that spiritualism is still a thing. Oh yeah. You know, it, it had its heyday in the Victorian times, of course, but, you know, there's still spiritualist, spiritualist churches. How many times I did that in the recording. <laughs> Oh my god. Remember when we went outside and did stuff? If, if, you, if you're not from uh, Edinburgh or the UK, as I know a lot of you listening actually aren't, uh, we mean the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. We're not talking about... Um, it's not my fringe. No, <laughs> it's not Meg's fringe. It's not... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like people know what the Fringe Festival is. I, yeah, I know, but... It's international. It, it is, but, it, you know... I still feel like if you're, I'm, I'm pretty sure we had one listener who was in Argentina at one point and like, oh my god, thank you so much, but also I don't expect you to know 
<laughs> what the yeah, Edinburgh Fringe so Festival is. And, uh, podcast. Yes. <laughs> um, It's, it's basically live theatre. It's basically like a, a solid month of live theatre all over the city. Uh, but more than that, like a lot of places open up and do special tours and like, um, like yeah, galleries yeah. open late, like mm-hmm. museum. Um, but yeah, so this year they had. It was an anniversary. I can't remember how many years they've been open. Uh, and you could go to a talk about That's so cool. It was really, really nice. And I spent the whole time there, like, obviously enjoying it, but kind of hoping to see some ghosts. So then, <laughs> which was sad. There's also a pub called the Conan Doyle, if you find yourself in Edinburgh, which I've never been in. Um, but it looks pretty snazzy. It's near a big John Lewis. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's near a roundabout that always has roundworks. Roundworks? Roadworks. Roadworks. And it's also in between two uh, churches as well. Which is... Well, I mean, like, to be honest, it's not even, like... It seems that there are very few people who really contested spiritualism in a religious sense. Like, generally speaking, one of the reasons it was so successful was because it quite neatly laid over uh, the sort of Christian worldview at the time uh, that the Victorians had uh, and uh, you know uh, of course there were people who were like you know spiritualism is just witchcraft because everything's witchcraft to some people um, but yeah it seems like generally speaking it was just very very accepted actually um, yeah, I think probably because they already had such a culture of death mm-hmm. and mourning that mm-hmm. it wasn't that different. It's only, like I said, yeah. like it, it rose from tragedy. Mm. So it rose in Europe after World War One, um, and in France after, I can't remember what war it was, um, <laughs> the American Civil War well, it became really popular. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is always, it's, it, well, I mean, that kind of thing always changes, like, the death industry. Like, the, the American Civil War is basically single-handedly responsible for why, um, we, uh, embalm our dead now, or at least, it's getting more popular in the UK, but it happens a lot in America, um, where there is absolutely, like, zero need to embalm them. But it basically happened because, like, before the Civil War, people would die at home, um, you know, probably mostly of natural causes, but they'd be surrounded by family, and they'd be buried by the family, and it was all very sort of in-house operation. Um, Whereas 
during the Civil War, of course, they were travelling great distances and dying there, and the families wanted the bodies back. And so there ended up being this group of... uh, I don't really know what to call them. Uh, Early undertakers, I suppose, who would basically follow uh, men to battle and then... Yeah, and and then um, they would work on embalming the corpses so that they could be Jeez. sent back home over long distances, and that they wouldn't be completely decomposed by the time that they got there. And Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, and now it's just such a staple of the death industry, and it's just completely like I found out the other day that I think it's the american military like um if a if a a veteran dies then um they're embalmed and put in a military cemetery and it's like there's absolutely no reason for them to be embalmed like there might not even be a a viewing or any sort of travel yeah i mean unless they're traveling there doesn't really seem much yeah no it's a pretty like invasive thing to do to a corpse as well. Just leave dead people alone. Did we say that the other week? I feel like yeah. yeah. <laughs> they get a bad we, rep. We reiterate this. Message. We do, yeah. Death positivity. Leave dead people alone. <laughs> cool. Oh, so this week I wanted to mention as well. So if you don't know the amazing. It's so good. shared it before um yeah. we'll share it again it's just it's it's so exciting like it's 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 really exciting i'm gonna get a copy and i'm gonna put it up on my wall because it's got two of my favorite artists together so <laughs> meg's blushing <laughs> uh yeah no it's, it's really really exciting and hopefully we can work a lot more with amy in the future mm. I mean, we've had really lovely feedback from people who've heard it so far, and not just people we're related to, I swear. Uh, not just our mums. Like I know, but but particularly, like, people have been really positive about the intro, and, you know, I'd be more than happy for us to, to write some more folk-style music, maybe inspired by some of the stuff that we talk about. Um, that would well, be you, you so cool. 
I did. Yeah, at some point we could maybe look into releasing it as like a, a full length track. Um, That'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really cool. But not 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 yet. No, no. <laughs> that no, is no, for the future. Yeah, yeah. We we literally can't do that right now, so Yeah, I, in fact, I'm pretty sure that we're the only people who aren't, because Wales is in lockdown, Ireland's in lockdown. Oh, I didn't realise Ireland was. Well, I think the Republic was in lockdown and they've locked down uh, Northern Ireland because people were hopping the border. Because um, Wales is due to come out of there pretty soon. I think so, and yeah. they're worried that the English are going to go over there. Don't go over there, English people. Don't do it. Just, like, just be in lockdown, just, just deal with it. Don't travel right now, guys. If you if you don't absolutely need to, if it's not like for work or essential, then just don't. Yeah. Nothing's going on anyway for you to travel. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> There's gonna be time for holidays and nice things and weddings. One day. <laughs> One day. <laughs> One day. <laughs> if I don't get bored and go straight to the registry office first. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, you, you can get married over, like, you know, Zoom now. So. I mean, the offer's still there if you want me to become officiated. I've, I've genuinely considered it. I just don't... I just don't want... Like, I, I see all these pictures of people's weddings and, like, everyone's wearing masks and I'm like... Who wants to look at their wedding photos, like supposedly the happiest day of your life, and just remember coronavirus and like everyone who's died? I think it's not so. St. Giles, but it's, it's one of the churches on Royal Mile. Um, and yeah, she, I mean, she looked amazing, they all looked amazing. just kind of nice to be engaged because it's like something nice that I can look forward to mm. like you know after you know the numbers have gone down and people aren't being so heavily affected and like I know life has to go on and obviously some people may have put down a lot of money and may not be able to get it back so you know that I understand because it's not cheap but it's like there's definitely people who are just doing it anyway yeah. and it's like Can it not wait? But what about the aesthetic? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just want to like run off into the forest. I need to get married under the canopy of trees. I don't. I don't understand people who like get married in like stately manners and shit. I'm like, this is not my life in any way, shape, or form. Like, why would I want to? I do love a castle though. I mean, castles are different and also massively out of my price range. <laughs> so I can't. <laughs> I know, but it's so pretty. 
I'm sure I can find a random patch of forest that no one's gonna mind. Cause I'm I'm pretty sure in Scotland like you can actually get married anywhere. Probably like cause I. Well, yeah. But I, I think in England you can perform the ceremony anywhere, but you have to then go and like get it signed like at a church or somewhere that stands in for it. Whereas I think in Scotland you don't need to. You can literally just get legally married anywhere. I'd, yeah. I always thought that you have to have obviously someone there to officiate. You have to have a witness. You always have to have a witness. The register. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I, I completely forgot, and it's obviously a brilliant rule in case people are being privilege not have to think about it like yeah. kind of yeah kind of nice not to come from a family where you know I'm gonna be coerced into marrying anyone if anything my parents are like don't do it like <laughs> you're making a mistake <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean they were oh. they were both married at my age and you know divorced ten years later so <laughs> Do it. Marry, like... Sue and Glee wear a tracksuit. <laughs> <laughs> Never worn a tracksuit in my life, but you know. I feel like if you were a PE teacher, that's exactly who you'd be. Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But yeah, if you guys actually know of any really nice, like, outdoor spaces to get married in Scotland. <laughs> no, no, but seriously, please tell me, because finding venues is so hard, because, like, they're all indoors, and some of them are really beautiful, but, like, I'm not going to get married in a church, I'm not going to get married in, like, a stately home. Like, it's just, it's not, neither of those are my, or mine or Sarah's life experiences in the slightest, and, like, I don't want to pretend for a day like no. that's not the point of this um it might be like um canopy and stars the really amazing uh business that like you can rent out places in like the forest or like, places mm. to stay mm -hmm. it might be a case that they have somewhere that you can like has quite a bit of land mm. maybe you could do something like that that'd be cool that'd be really cool a place with an outside bath well, actually, I don't know how well an outside bath would go in October in Scotland. Well, it wouldn't go well at any time of year. In Scotland. That's, that's, that's why you do it. You get in the bath really quick and then you run to the cabin. <laughs> I think I'd rather just have a bath indoors, to be honest. <laughs> With, well, with you know, with a nice view, it's fine. To be honest, I just want a bath. You know what, right now I take an outdoors bath. Like, I miss it so bad. My flat only has a shower, and good God, what is my life without bath bombs? That might be the most privileged thing I've ever said, but I mean it. 
Like rising from the waters, like covered in glitter. Yeah, but like... crap. Yeah, well, we... it was so bad. So, uh, my old flat, Meg's current flat, has a stunning 1970s vintage avocado suite, green nice. everything. And the bath is tiny, and it only has a really small amount of hot water, and any kind of bath bomb you put in it just makes the water look like it's kind of brown. Um, because <laughs> of the green. Yeah, I, had a, I had a pumpkin bag bomb the other day, and you can actually see that it was orange, which is miraculous. That's crazy. Yeah, normally it is. <sighs> <laughs> ah, well. Ah, yeah. well. Such is the renting life one day. One day I will have a house and a bath. When I'm 84 years old. Probably buy it and then die. That's how long it'll take me to save up for that. Well, this is the thing, like the millennial and the Gen Zs. Um, I understand um, the witch from Gretel and Hansel eating children because, like, she probably saved her whole life for a fucking house, and then the kids came along and started eating it, and like, fair. I sympathise. Fair. They got what was coming. Oh, also go and watch Gretel and Hansel. Yeah, if you haven't. We, so I know like last episode we talked about the fact that we were going to do uh, an upload of ghost stories on Saturday and we basically realised that we just overreached a little too far and um, yeah, we're still learning. Um, but so instead we decided to do a little Instagram live, so that video is up on our, on our page at uh, Wandering Eye Curios. Um, so if you just want uh, some spooky goodness and a Q&A, then hit that up, it's quite funny. We do talk about some films, if you want to hear more about Grell and Hansel, then um, we chat about it a little bit there. It's an absolutely amazing film. Thank you to everyone who's sending questions for that as well, we really appreciate it. Yep. We were bricking it a little bit. Otherwise we would have just been screaming into the wall. Yeah, which, you know, that's what we normally- or at the sea. Mm, oh, we haven't done that for ages. No, if you were- if, if you've been at Portobello Beach in the last few years, and <laughs> y you've been alarmed by two people just screaming at the ocean, um, it might have been us. It's very cathartic. I do recommend it. You could probably try it with a lake, but I don't think it would be quite the same. Oh, I screamed at some lakes, it's pretty good. Oh, okay. Fair. The ocean is preferable, though. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on your privilege. <laughs> yeah, I miss screaming at the sea with you. Mm. We should go down to Port Bella Beach sometime. It's a very nice beach. It's lovely. Mm. Okay. I feel like this has got very sidetracked. Yeah, yes. we've talked about spiritualism embalming, Wedding. weddings, and Scottish beaches, and screaming at them. So, hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> Let us know what your favourite beach is to scream at. Oh yeah, yeah, please. Or your favourite just general, yeah, you know, your favourite generic void to scream into. Um, yeah, that and where I should get married. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a poll. <laughs> Oh, the perfect combination. Because there'll be, there'll be some nerves, I would imagine. 
But that's why the place I've already found is great because it's a forest on the edge of a lock. Like, come on! It's so I know, but it's so beautiful. It is. It's gorgeous. <laughs> if anyone has any spare cash, gimme, please. And also me, I'd like my own house. <laughs> okay. We will leave you alone now, uh, but we will be back same time next week um, with another episode. We're going to be doing another story swap. So keep your ears open. There's going to be um, some cool stuff coming your way um, about uh, spiritualism in that, the UK. Um, at least from me. I have no idea what Meg's bringing you, actually. We'll see. There you go. There you have it. It'll be a surprise. <laughs> anyway, folks, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. Stay spooky. Bye. Wandering Eye Curios is brought to you by myself, Jasper Chanter, and my co-host, Meg James. The podcast is scripted and performed by both of us and produced by me. Music is scored and performed by Amy Marianne, with lyrics by myself. Our intro song, For Better or Worse, is sung by us. Find us on Instagram at Wandering Eye Curios and over on Twitter at Wandering Eye Pod. Stay spooky, friends. Until next time. The trick itself is pretty simple. There are substances which can. <laughs> Substances.